and welcome to the Yoga of Resilience podcast presented by Vera Bhava Yoga. I'm your host, Kelly Golden, here to guide you in an exploration of yoga and its relationship to resilience. I'm a writer, yoga teacher, dedicated practitioner, and exhaustive thinker, and I've been practicing and studying yoga since 1995 and teaching since 2003. This podcast follows my exploration of Sri Vidya Tantra and its direct application to our lives in all situations, on and off the mat. Through contemplation, conversation, wondering, and experience, we unpack the ways in which resilience is synonymous with the path and practice of yoga, and the ways that both practices support us in showing up whole and alive in the midst of hardship and challenge. Most of these conversations were recorded live with current Virabhava Yoga students, and you can find yoga asana practices affiliated with each episode on our website, virabhavayoga.com. These practices and conversations are guideposts on the path to living a resilient life. If you would like to explore with us more deeply, check out our programs at virabhavayoga.com and practice with our teachers online and in your area. Hi friends, today on the Yoga of Resilience podcast, I'm going to be talking about Tantra, an often misrepresented and misunderstood system and practice. I will be talking generally about the definitions of Tantra and how they can be applied to our everyday lives and hopefully dispel some of the common myths about the practice and system. There is a brief meditation included at the beginning of this talk that provides a tiny taste of the experience of Tantra. I hope you enjoy it. So we're going to talk about Tantra today. And as I have a tendency to do, I'd like to open with the meditation if everybody feels okay with that. So it doesn't have to be um, super structured. And if you're not in a place where sitting and meditating feels like what you want to do, then you can just um, do your best to be aware in your mind. So my tendency, the way I play this game is to open with the meditation because it puts us in the space of um, experiencing um, the way that I teach a lot of you guys know me but if you don't know me or you haven't seen me in a while the way that I do it is to try to get you into the bhav or the feeling by starting with the meditation or opening with a practice of some sort and then we can move into the discussion about what's going on um, and what's going on today is a discussion about what is Tantra which is a huge question and um, emerging in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways right now and I feel a little bit like I want to do some myth busting today, because why not? But also some myth confirming, because why not? Um, and then we will move into a little bit more uh, discussion based. So as I'm talking, um, I will, as always, try to leave a little bit of time at the, at the end of the call um, to answer questions. But as I'm talking, if questions come up and you want to throw them up in the chat, that's great. I will probably not answer them immediately, but I can keep a, we'll keep a running list of what you're thinking. Um, so let's start by finding a comfortable seated position. 
And if you're not in a place where you can sit, then that's totally fine too. Do your best to move into a space of attention or awareness in your inner space as opposed to your outer space. So if you're driving a car, please keep your eyes on the road and your hands on the wheel. Um, that's a non-negotiable. Um, but if you are in a place where you can just drop into your experience for a moment, please uh, do so. And then take a moment to focus on your breath. So your breath is this bridge, this fantastic, almost magical bridge that can put you, put your mind in touch with the space and sensations in your body and also your body connected to the space and sensations of your mind. So just by observing our breath, we begin to move into a somewhat deeper level of awareness. So you don't have to do anything special to it if in the past you've been told that the best way to breathe is X, Y, Z, or that breathing in a certain way enhances your meditation, I'm gonna encourage you to let all of that go and just be present with, um, with the breath that is being received on every inhale and released on every exhale, however it's showing up for you right now. And then allow this breath to become complete or full. So can you breathe in until you are full, until there's just no more space to breathe in, and then can you breathe out until you're empty? And again, this isn't necessarily directed by breathing in for a certain length of time or breathing out for a certain length of time. I'm, I'm gonna encourage you to uh, sort of dismantle all the rules that maybe you've been taught in your yoga classes and, and instead move into a space where feeling is your primary motivation. So breathing in until you're full and breathe out until you're empty. So this may not seem like a meditation that you're used to, but it'll be a little bit of an imagining experience. So settled into your breath, take a moment and picture, almost like you're looking at a photograph, picture an incredibly joyful, happy moment in time. It can be very personal to you. It can be, um, something way from your past. It can be something that happened yesterday. It can even, if you dare, be something that you imagine will happen in the future. So time is not a constraint in this. Just imagine what you would consider to be a perfect moment in time. And as if you're looking at this perfect moment in time, like you're looking at a snapshot, a photograph, remember those, <laughs> like a photograph. Take in all of the details of this picture of this perfect moment in time. So where are you? Who are you with? What are you doing? But most importantly, how do you feel? So stare, if you will, at this picture in your mind's eye of this moment of perfection until you can really feel this feeling of what you're considering to be joy or perfection growing inside of you. And then please 
holding the picture and the feeling. So in yoga that we call this feeling in Sanskrit, it's called a bhava or bhavana. Hold this feeling of perfection or joy inside of you and then erase from the photograph the location. So just take it away. Still feeling this feeling of joy and perfection, but let go of the need for it to be in a specific place. So now the photograph still retains the people that are around you, what you're doing, but the location has been wiped clean. Now you could be anywhere. Focus on the feeling. And now please release what you're doing. So if, you're, if there's an action, if you're riding a horse, if you're walking in the woods, all of those things. So now you're with who you're with, but now you're no longer attached or focused on the experience itself. Really tuned into the experience of joy, to the experience of what you perceive to be perfection, but letting go of where this is happening and what you're doing. Feel the feeling of joy or perfection building inside of you and letting go of it being any specific place or doing any specific thing. And the very last piece, building this feeling of joy in your heart, can you let go of anyone else in the picture but you? So let go of the people that you're with. So now there's no specific place, there's no specific action, there's no specific relationships required. You are just feeling the feeling of joy, perceiving this experience of perfection. Allow yourself to settle into this awareness, this feeling. without the attachment or the need for your external environment, the photograph, the details of the photograph to provide anything for you. All you have to do is be present with the experience that you've cultivated. Return to the feeling of breathing in until you're full and breathing out until you're empty. Breathing in, expanding this sense of joy or perfection, breathing out, releasing any last holds or grips or hooks you have on perfection looking like anything. And then you can slowly, maybe you can re retain this feeling, this resonance of joy, but you can slowly open your eyes if they're closed and come back together. Hi. So we do these calls once a quarter. We call them quarterly calls. Um, just to talk about sort of the topics that have been coming up in our in our world um, regularly because we found that it's sort of easier to
um, talk to everyone at once, every couple of months, three, every three months, than it is to sort of answer the same question over and over and over. So um, a lot of what's been coming into uh, the Vera Bhava um, inbox have been questions about Tantra. Um, so if you read the blog post that was posted uh, earlier in the week, I addressed uh, some of those questions. That blog post felt really, really dense to me. Um, and we knew that we would be coming on and talking about it uh, directly. So um, we didn't try to reduce the blog post very much. But when we talk about Tantra, so the first thing I want to say is I've been studying Tantra for I should have run my numbers before I got on the call, 15, 16 years. Um, and the first five or six years, I had no idea what I was studying was Tantra. I was just doing, I was just studying what I thought was yoga. So there is a distinction between yoga and Tantra. And I do think that the blog post is the best place to seek out a little bit more of that. I want to talk specifically today about um, just scratch the surface, introduce the idea of what Tantra is um, and how it's applicable to our world today. When we start working with the practices of Tantra themselves, we start moving a little bit more into the realm of yoga and um, how yoga is often really misunderstood. Um, I won't go um, too deep down that hole because, oh my gosh, because I've only got you for an hour. And just the idea of talking to you about Tantra and trying to give you an introduction to Tantra and um, sort of unwrap some of these ideas and ideologies about Tantra in an hour is also completely insignificant uh, timing wise. We need days to talk about it. So I studied Tantra for several years, some, something like five or six years before I understood I was studying Tantra because Tantra isn't something that is um, systemized in the way that we like to feel uh, contained in our systems. Right, so a lot of people gravitate towards yoga because there's a very like A, B, C, do this, do this, do this, do your, do your asana and then do your meditation and then do your pranayama and then do your shavasana and then voila, that's yoga. And then we make these claims about yoga that your life will get uh, much better, right? If you just do, if you just follow the system. So Tantra has uh, an almost completely antithetical um, view philosophically, but uses the, the practices and principles of, tantra, uh, of yoga to apply this view. So the first question I always ask when we talk about Tantra is, do you use your yoga? And, and if you dare to raise your hand, you can, you can also just not, but if you're brave and you want to put it out there, do you use your yoga to get into your life or to get out of it? So how many of you use your yoga to escape the stresses of your life? A yoga teacher, a friend, uh, maybe a physician or uh, a nice, both is a really great answer. So a lot of people are being recommended and sent to yoga to um, deal with the symptoms of a stressful life. So physical discomfort, uh, mental stress and strain and discomfort, um, emotional imbalance, pe people are being sent to yoga as almost um, a medicine, um, a way to deal with the symptomology of, of a deeper difficulty that life is presenting. And we're living in this time where, I mean, come on, y'all, life is almost un unbearable. 
uh, in a lot of ways. And so a lot of people are finding their way to yoga to sort of take a vacation from the unbearable experience of life. So then the, that's really normal. And if you walk into a yoga studio, back when you could walk into yoga studios, um, you'll find that most people are coming to yoga to get out of the intensity of their lives, to take a break. Yeah, right, Beth, I hear you. And when you start moving into the realm of Tantra, we start using yoga to get into our lives rather than get out of them, right? So we use Tantra as a philosophical system, as a way to view our experience and the world so that we can enter more deeply into the discomfort, into um, the confusion, into, I called it chaos uh, to a Raja Yogi person the other day and they said, oh, I really don't like that word chaos. And in Tantra, we don't have any disdain for the word chaos because it is chaotic when everything seems to keep spinning uh, and more and more levels of, uh, or more and more ways that are entropic, so out of our systems, out of our control, and um, all we long for is something that can be mapped and something that can be controlled and tell me if I start at A, how do I get to Z? Um, tell me the steps, I'll follow the steps, I'll even do them perfectly, right? And this is all a system that if we follow the steps and do them perfectly, then we will achieve what in yoga is called samadhi or enlightenment or the ultimate aim. And Tantra says the exact opposite. It says, hey, you are the ultimate aim already. You've just forgotten. So if you can start living as if you are the point of everything, then if the practices of yoga help you remember that you're the point, then great, do them. But if the practices of yoga are reinforcing the understanding that you are less than perfect, that you aren't already in this place of um, awareness, that you aren't a living embodiment of something bigger than you, then yoga is actually contributing to your difficulty and not solving it. If yoga is taking you out of your life, then yoga is kind of part of the problem, according to Tantra. However, all of these same principles of yoga being something that helps you remember who you are can be applied to the remembrance that you're not trying to perfect the already perfected, right? So let's talk about some principles. Let's define Tantra. We'll start with the word itself. So one of the definitions of Tantra is a word that means technology. Um, and technology is the way that you create or adapt your tools to any given situation, right? So we think of technology as having something to do with um, the internet or, we, or computers or electronics or technology having this, this definition of uh, how we apply it in the current era, but technology literally means the tools that you use to engage, right? So one of the definitions of Tantra is technology. So that means that any tool that you use to remember essentially that you're the point of the whole experience 
And I'm going to stretch that out a little bit in just a minute, but let's start uh, simply. We're going to get Kate's telling us what our um, a short to shortcut nature is uh, one of the definitions of technology that's being offered. Perfect. Um, anything that allows you to move, maybe I don't I don't know that I want to say more quickly. Um, because you are nature in Tantra, but anything that allows you to remember who you are is Tantra. Now, who you are is a big statement, and I'm going to try to unpack that a little bit. But any, any tool that you use that allows you to remember the essence, right, that's another definition of bhava, anything that allows you to remember the essence of who you are is Tantra. So in that opening meditation that we shared, I, I was hoping to get you to create a feeling and then take that feeling down to its essence that wasn't dependent on any of your external circumstances and just hold or experience the feeling itself. So the ability to experience the essence of you or the essence of your nature, that's a technology and that's Tantra. Okay, so anything that allows you to do that, it doesn't matter um, what your religious affiliation is. It doesn't matter um, how, how you are, what your cultural affiliation is or your upbringing or your understanding of the world. Literally any tool that allows you to experience the nature, the truth of who you are is Tantra. Right? Now there is a whole philosophical system of Tantra that is encapsulated in texts and teachings. Um, and that is, you know, for a, for a very um, orthodox tantric practitioner, those are all required, the study of those texts. I don't consider myself orthodox, nor do I consider myself a scholar. So we're giving you a broad scope of tantra. So the first one is, it means technology. So any tool that works to get you to your nature, it's tantra. The second definition of tantra is to weave. So taking all the tools that work to get you to the truth or essence of who you are and weaving them together into a system, uh, I, I would like to say a fluid system that works for you. So we start dancing out of Tantra and into Dharma and karma rules and, and uh, actions when we start creating these fixed systems that are unchangeable and unmovable as you move and change. Right, so Tantra creates systems that work and when the systems stop working, it dismantles the system and rebuilds it, including the new tools that you need to keep moving into deeper and deeper levels of self-awareness. Right, so that means that it's a living system. So we have to be really careful about grabbing, just like in Raja Yoga, there's the eight limbs, the Ashtanga Yoga. Um, we have to be really careful that those limbs stay alive and don't then create a set of rules that must be followed regardless of uh, circumstance or situation or timing. So we have to be open in Tantra to the truth of what is in any given moment. Right? Because um, what may work at a time where your life is very um, quiet, Right. I'll, I'll use my example because uh, I am a mother. If you don't have kids, this might not be um, completely 
relevant to you, but um, what the practices that you put together before you have children and can commit to and be disciplined with before you have children aren't applicable for the most part once you have babies. The possibility of holding on to even a shred of that beautiful two-hour daily discipline that you used to do before your babies were born is pretty much out the window the instant that child cries the very first time, right? So understanding that the systems of Tantra, the way that we weave together the technologies and the tools to remember who we are is alive, it's evolving, it's malleable, it's adaptive, right? So that's something that's a little bit different um, than a lot of systems of yoga that say, uh, do your primary series every day except Sunday and when you're on your moon every day, practice, 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 right? Tantra says, when it works, it works, and when it doesn't work, let it go, right? So that snapshot that you, that you experienced, I hope, at the beginning of this talk, of that perfect moment, that joyful, perfect moment, might not be applicable right now in this moment. But the essence of what was inside that snapshot, the feeling that you cultivated inside of yourself and the way that you could fill yourself up with that, that is accessible regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the location, regardless of the people in the picture, right? And so Tantra is a system, it's a practice when you use it as a practice that helps you get in touch with the essence of the feeling regardless of the situation, the timing, the culture. Right, and it gives you the freedom to stretch and to move and to adapt. So the third definition of Tantra is to stretch or expand. So a lot of times this is taught as Tantra teaches you to stretch beyond your limits. I want to unpack that just a little bit because I don't know that I wholeheartedly agree with that definition. Everything we experience, the way we as individuals experience the world is through our perception. Through our eyes, we're experiencing the world, even if what we're tr trying to do, and especially right now in the world, we're trying to stretch our perception. We're trying to take in new ways of seeing, things that we haven't considered before, um, understand the way other people see the world and, and make that a part of our, um, our learned perception. But no matter how much we can grow, we're still only seeing things through our eyes. I can only see the world through my eyes. You can only see the world through your eyes. Right, so there is this idea that perception is truth. It's really easy to get lost down that hole. I won't go too far down that hole today. We do play with this a lot more. If you're a yoga teacher and you uh, wanna learn more about what we do in our advanced training, we play, we stretch these bounds of perception a lot. But the idea that perception is truth is, a, is a, a, an illusion. Maya, they call it in Sanskrit. So when we talk about Tantra stretching us beyond our limits, what we talk about is Tantra stretching the edges of what we perceive to be true. So every time we step into one of these things that is true beyond anything else that we believe is true, then the practices and the experiences of Tantra really push the edges, provoke us to question whether or not what's true is really true. So it's got this sense of stretching our perception. 
beyond limits. So, so much of our perception of what is true and real is based on what makes us feel safe inside a container of familiarity. So as long as we feel safe, we feel like we've got things going on. It feels good. We're certain we're in control, right? And what Tantra says is this perception of safety or this perception of certainty might be an illusion. So how do we stretch our ability to be aware of what's just beyond our perception? And right now in the world, it seems like we're in a big experience of this. How can we stretch maybe something we believe for decades beyond our perception of this belief? All right, so this is what Tantra means when it says to stretch beyond limits. Limits have a tendency in my vocabulary, and I, I, I talk about this a lot with my private clients and my students. We all define the words perception and limits and boundaries and borders really differently. And so in my vernacular, limits are fixed and hard. And boundaries are fluid and changeable and adaptable. So the idea of Tantra is we stretch beyond our limits so that we can better understand how to set boundaries that orient us to remembering who we are. Right? So that's the idea, to stretch beyond our limits. So those are the main definitions of Tantra, but then there's some sort of basic underlying teachings, and that's where it gets uh, really fun. So when we, when we start working with Tantra as a philosophy, we, we understand these things, that Tantra is a technology, that it grabs the tools that help us remember who we are, and that those tools can be individual for absolutely everyone. So the word for that individu individuality in Sanskrit is svā, S-V-A, or svā, svā. It means yours. So there is such a thing as svā tantra, the tools that work for you that might not work for me, at least the unique combination of tools that work for you that might not need to be shifted or changed to work for me, right? And then there's the whole game. There's the Tantra of everything. And so our tools are worked into the big picture. So this is another sort of philosophical concept of Tantra that the microcosm is the macrocosm and the macrocosm conversely is also the microcosm. So let me see if I can break that down. Whatever is inside of me, so there's a, there's a saying, I wrote about this in the blog, as within, so without, right? So whatever I'm battling with, whatever I'm unaware of, whatever I'm owning, whatever I'm experiencing inside is then manifesting itself outside of me. I'm sure that this is something that is not wholly unfamiliar to you guys as yogis. And whatever is manifesting itself outside of me are like ginormous mirrors showing me what's inside that maybe I can't see. Now that's the part in our current world that's really frictive to people, that all of this stuff outside of us could be reflecting our inner state is almost unbearable for a lot of people. But here's the game of stretching beyond our perceptions. So now we go back to one of the definitions of Tantra. When I can stretch my understanding of myself beyond this fixed state, and I can see that everything that's happening around me is reflecting the inner state inside of me, then I can work inside of myself and 
as a result of that work, the world will start to shift, right? And maybe it's tiny, minute shifts, maybe it's imperceptible, but if we're all doing the work of knowing ourselves, and that's the work of yoga, friends, the work of knowing yourself is the work of yoga. When we're all doing the yoga, then the tantra can be that which we dance inside of. So another main teaching of tantra is that the whole world is lila. Lila is a word that means play. So it is the play of, in some sects of tantra, they'll say divinity. So it's the play of the divine, or it's the play of the universe, or it's the play of the earth that there's this reflective piece always showing us things we can't see about ourselves and that we are expressing this internal space all the time in our world. This is the play. So I tell my students all the time that Tantra teaches you that it's about that the whole game, the whole game of living is about character development, not about plot development. So it makes no difference really in Tantra where you go or how you got there. All that matters is how you arrive and how you are in every step of the path, right? Another uh, great liberating fact about Tantra is in Tantra, you're never off your path. Mistakes aren't evidence of you being off your path. Mistakes are an opportunity for you to show up more fully as who you are. Mistakes are often uh, ways that we calibrate our compass towards the work that needs still needs to be done. Mistakes are invitations for us to get to know ourselves better and become more awake to the things that maybe before we couldn't see. Right, so there's not a moment when you're working in the philosophical system of Tantra that you're not practicing. I think that's all I want to say about that. <clears throat> the other beautiful part and, and the place where people get really um, uncomfortable about the practice of Tantra is that one of the main teachings of Tantra is that if it's not a paradox, you need to question it. If it's not at once the opposite, then we're missing something because the world is the totality of all things in the tantric philosophy, everything, the macrocosm. And if you are, I wrote about this a little bit in the blog, but if you are incredibly peaceful and you're existing in a state of absolute peace, then in that absolute peace, it is our call as tantricas to then seek out where we have hidden or shadowed our lack of peace. So one of the things that makes Tantra a little bit challenging for today's practitioners is Tantra is not the analgesic for our discomforts. Yoga in so many ways that it's being presented in the world these days is, right? You can be having a horrible day you can uh, have flipped off somebody on your way to the grocery store. You can have gotten angry and lost your temper at the uh, guy behind the meat counter, or if you know if you're 
next level yogi, then you didn't go to the meat counter, but the produce guy. And you can have all of these experiences of you not being aware of your actions and fully engaged with the choices that you're making. And then you can leave the grocery store and go to yoga and then walk out feeling great. Right? It becomes the analgesic, the thing that the Advil that you pop to make the pain of what it's like to be alive going away. That's what yoga has become in a lot of our circles of yoga in the world today. And it has that capacity. Isn't that phenomenal? It is such a powerful practice that it totally works. But we have to be really careful about allowing our yoga to be an analgesic because we will start going to sleep to ourselves. We will stop wanting, having any idea or need to take responsibility of our actions in the world and we'll sit in that place in the picture where our happiness or our unhappiness is 100% dependent on where we are, what we're doing, and who we're with. And we will forget how to take responsibility and accountability for our own essence in the picture. So the reason that Tantra gets really edgy is it says, it's really beautiful that you're standing on a beach in Maui with the people that you love the most and you're watching the waves come in and out at sunset and absolutely everything's perfect and you have all the money you need and you have all the love you need and you have all the belonging you need and still that's all great but it doesn't matter if you don't understand who you are in the picture. So Tantra constantly challenges you to release the details of the photograph and get really clear about your essence in it. And a lot of people don't like that. It's not analgesic. Matter of fact, it turns you into the skid. So often it, uh, it causes you to feel stuff that you came to yoga not to feel. So this is where Tantra gets a little bit fringy, a little bit like rebellion, because it's asking you, it's pushing you into knowing yourself at a level and a layer that requires us to take ownership of stuff that we don't like about ourselves. But that's the nature of the paradox. If we can recognize our own uh, faults, our own shortcomings, our own imperfections, and we can own them, then we can integrate them. And from that integration, Tantra becomes the source of our power. The integrating that shadow, the integration of the opposite means that once we own it, we are no longer reflecting it out into the macrocosm to be shown to us. Once we can understand that what's being shown to us are the things that we cannot yet see in ourselves, then we can start working with the things that we're consciously or unconsciously without any fault at all blind to, and then we can start integrating that blindness as sight. And then what will start ideally from the tantric philosophy being shown to us is, a, is what Charles Eisenstein calls a more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. Right. 
So the idea of the paradox isn't something to avoid. And, and maybe, and I wrote about this in the blog, and maybe this isn't true for you, but I know it's true for me. Something great happens in my life, and I'm always like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I always thought that was a character flaw. Like, why can't I just enjoy the great thing that's happened? Well, because with the great thing is also the bottom dropping out of the great thing, because impermanence is the name of the game. Nothing lasts, nothing lasts. And that's a terrifying thought. So we like to immerse ourselves, to lose ourselves, to allow our perception to only hold that which makes us feel safe and certain and good. And Tantra says, no, no, no. Also hold that which makes you feel unsafe, that which makes you feel uncertain, that which might not make you feel good. Hold it all at once and create the space to stretch beyond what you perceive. Right? So that's the nature of what Tantra is about. In Tantra, life is not an obstacle to be overcome. And the practice of yoga is not essentially the spiritual practice that allows us to overcome that obstacle, but instead, in Tantra, life is the invitation to fully live, and then yoga becomes the practices that we do to fully live. It's great and scary. It's not great. It's great and not great at the same time. It's great if you feel ready to know the truth of who you are, to claim all of your idiosyncrasies and your imperfections, it's, it's a wonderful path. But if you're really comfortable with denying pieces and parts of yourself and working towards perfection, Tantra is not the game for you. And I hope that we understand collectively, uh, I hope that we understand more now than maybe we ever have, that perfection is actually an obstacle in and of itself. The perfection is unattainable and the desire to attain perfection is one of the things that keeps us controllable. The desire to obtain perfection is one of the things that allows us a false sense of security that we attach to that's never ever secure. So the pursuit of perfection is part of the obstacle itself. And if your yoga is telling you pursue perfection, then check in and see if your yoga is really working for you. But if your yoga is telling you to immerse yourself in the truth of who you are in every given moment that is fluid and, un and uh, not static, then see how that's working for you. See how you get to make space to be in love with yourself in every phase of your life. And instead of looking back at the mistakes you made and shaming yourself and criticizing yourself, you get to open the arms of your heart to all of those past selves that didn't know any better and was just doing the best with what it had to work with. And then you get to own that piece as part of your history that's made you who you are now. Like what would happen in a world where we didn't berate ourselves for our wrongdoing and instead we made space for nobody to have to be perfect, for mistakes to be part of the path and part of the practice. And Tantra 
life is not the symptom to which yoga is the cure. Life is the point. So I'm going to go down a, a, a little bit of an esoteric path for a moment. So bear with me. Um, the, there's, there's as many types of yoga, uh, sorry, as many types of Tantra, as many schools of Tantra as there are uh, approaches to Christianity. So I'm going to use my upbringing. I was raised Christian and, you know, I've been to several different styles of, of Christian church and they are so different. So many of them aren't even recognizable. So Tantra is very similar. There's just as many styles of Tantra as there are practitioners of it, right? So my approach, my explanation might not be the universal explanation. Um, hopefully the foundational pieces are the same. So this idea that divinity exists, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna push in a little bit to oneness. So we have these ideas about if I can, uh, if I can still the movements of my mind, then I can join with the oneness that is uh, existence, right? So this idea that we can transcend our material form and join with a oneness is a very linear, uh, what I would consider to be a Raja Yoga path. Tantra, on the other hand, says something like, metaphorically, that divinity is a body and you are a cell in the body. So if you were to transcend your cellness, the body would suffer. The body wouldn't be living in its optimal capacity. Your job is to be the cell that you were born to be, a word in yoga they call dharma. Right? Dharma has a spa, your dharma, and then it has the big dharma, right? So your job in oneness is to be as uniquely you as you can be and then engage with others who are also being as uniquely them as they can be. That is the oneness that when we all are walking the path of our own discovery, walking the path of knowing ourselves fully, taking full accountability and responsibility for knowing who we are and expressing that in the world, then we are the living oneness, right? It's not, we're not something to transcend. So another principle of Tantra is it's not transcendent, it's eminent. So you're not trying to bypass your lived experience to get to something holy. Holy is living the life that you've been given. So it makes everything holy. So this is where we start to catch a lot of these uh, grossly misinterpreted westernized ideas of Tantra as being something that's related specifically and only to sex. When we try to make everything holy, then like our capitalist Western culture does, it's gonna make the most fringy thing holy and then charge a bunch of money to learn about it. Way to go, capitalism. Um, and, and yes, of course, if everything is Tantra, if totality is the point, then of course sex is included. 
But the practice of Tantra isn't a sex practice. And please, I beg you, if you think it is, let's set up a time to talk about maybe what's beyond what you've learned about Tantra. I'm not trying to exclude sex from the picture, but I would love to help you expand your perception of what Tantra is. Right. So this idea, a lot of the fringy things have gotten brought in and then made the thing, right? It's very, very Western. But if it is working, it is Tantra, but working doesn't mean if it makes you feel good. If working means, no if, working means if it helps you know yourself better. If it gets you to the core and the essence of your self-knowing, your svadhyaya, is how Patanjali says it, then it's tantra. And so many people are using a lot of these tools to bypass knowing themselves and go deeply into the things that feel good, but don't uncover the truth of who you are. And so much of our feel-good culture is about denying the truth that exists inside all the time, right? So how do we remedy the division in our world? Well, we start by remedying the division in ourselves. That's Tantra. If you feel divided between the way you live in the world and the way you show up on your yoga mat, then you're not practicing Tantra. Tantra is showing up on your mat as a microcosm of the world in which you live, the macrocosm. Are you with me? Any questions so far? Tantra says that because everything is the totality of all things, including you, that every cell in the universe contains the intelligence of the entire universe itself. Think about that. Every cell in the universe contains the intelligence of the entire universe itself. That means however many billion cells make you up contain every single one of those cells contain the intelligence of the entire universe. That means that your little toe nail has the intelligence of the entire universe. Isn't that radical? Now, if we can learn how to be imminent, if we can learn how to be embodied, then we can start to source intelligence in places other than the computer of our mind. We can start to expand the limits of understanding that training the mind is the best thing ever, and we can start to move into the intelligence that is embodied so that you're not shut off from everything beneath your chin. And when you walk into a room, before you open your mouth, you feel intelligently the room that you're walking in and you respond from that sense, that essence of who you are, rather than from this list of information that you have uh, obtained and stored away in your mind. You become engaged in the world that you are a part of fully in the experience of Tantra, in the practices of Tantra. That seems like a lot to ask, but I'll tell you as somebody that's been practicing Tantra for over 15 years, it makes life, even the most difficult aspects of life, way easier. Maybe easier is not. Simpler. <laughs> 
it doesn't make anything easier. So I do not want to falsely advertise what Tantra is, but it makes it simpler. When you can have, I mean, there's a lot of science behind this, guys. When you can have intelligence that stems from your gut, when those feelings that you have in your heart are actually intelligent, when you can see them that way, then the ways that you respond to the world grow and grow and grow into an existence that is engaged and aware. And we have been taught that the mind is the thing to use and not lose, right? A mind is a terrible thing to waste. I'm gonna say, waste it a little, see what happens. Try not to put so much emphasis on knowing and start to find the knowingness, the word in Sanskrit is D, D-H-I, start to find the knowingness that effervesces up from inside of you. Notice how often your mind pushes that knowingness down, that intellect that is beyond the mind. And be aware. Again, the whole game is not perfection. It's simply awareness. Perfection is the obstacle. Yoga says, sorry, Tantra says, Yoga says all kinds of awesome things too. We'll talk about that in three months. Tantra says you are a constellation of the vast and universal intelligence of the whole that desires to be assembled uniquely. Let me say that again. You are a constellation of the vast and universal intelligences of the whole that desires to be assembled uniquely as you. So this means that to practice Tantra, to explore Tantra, and I'm running out of time, God, hours I could talk about this. To, to explore Tantra, we have to stop trying to be people we're not. We have to, my parents used to call it keeping up with the Joneses. Stop keeping up with the Joneses and start being character development. Start being who you are. There is nowhere to get to other than you. That's it. When you recognize that you are a constellation of divinity expressing itself as Kelly, as Tova, as Chris, as Courtney, I'll go down the list. Then the goal is how do I express this fully and with as much clarity and orientation to the essence of what is true as possible. So if all the fringy practices that Tantra has, that have claimed Tantra as their name, are helping you get to that truth, that recognition that you are a constellation of divinity expressing itself uniquely as you, then they're your tools, weave them in. But if they're helping you escape from, I don't know, in my body they feel like uh, gremlins. Remember that movie? In my body, the things I run away from are the things that you're not supposed to feed after midnight, right? <laughs> they make you feel like that. If your yoga is just helping you run away and make sure that you don't feed those things after midnight, it's not Tantra because it's keeping you hidden from yourself. And as long as you're hidden from yourself, that which hides will be reflected from the macrocosm to you. Right? And there's a reason, and I, I can't, I don't have the time to go into all of this, but there's a reason that the world is reflecting such big truths back to us right now. 
because we have been conditioned to hide the same parts of all of ourselves from ourselves. And we can stop. We have that choice. We have the power to stop hiding from ourselves. And Tantra is the Shakti, the power to stop hiding from yourself. You wanna make the world a better place, I feel like I wanna sing a song right now, then stop hiding from yourself. This isn't selfish. This is centric. This means that you in your tiny box of perception are the center of your perceived universe. And if you don't know yourself, then everything will reflect the opportunities for you to know yourself clearly back to you. But if you can put yourself in the center, if you can own that centric of your perception, then you can start dealing with the truth of who you are. And then that truth is what can be reflected back to you rather than the denial of it. Whew. Not even the surface did we scratch. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, have, I have many more notes. Um, and this is what I'll say. If you want to know more, we teach everything like this. We teach asana like this. We teach pranayama like this. We teach meditation. Uh, I got stories out the ears and eyeballs. Um, what we do is Virbhava Yoga. Uh, is, is teach Tantra into yoga. So if you're interested in learning more and you've never done any study in yoga, we have 200 hour trainings. Um, you can get on virbhavayoga.com and uh, sign up for our programs. They're all online. You can do it from anywhere in the world. You can do it from any time zone. It's phenomenal. Uh, and if you've already studied yoga, if you've done a 200 hour training, if you've, if you've already gone deep and you wanna go deeper, our 300 hours are also all online. Uh, you can get online and sign up for those. And we're super psyched that you joined us today. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, if we're new to you, then keep checking us out. Bye, guys. Have a great day. Hi, folks. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you would like to access the asana practices affiliated with each episode, please check out our webpage, www.dirabhavayoga.com backslash podcast. And take advantage of our online classes, programming, and apparel by using the discount code PODCAST2021, all uppercase letters, to save 20% off everything on our website. That discount code is PODCAST2021, all uppercase. Thanks for listening.